Today we begin a series on, on the book of Daniel, surviving and thriving in an ungodly culture. And the question is, how do you survive? Not only just survive, but I'm talking about thriving in the midst of an ungodly, dark culture. I want to ask you a question here this morning. Do you think that maybe America has been going through a moral shift? Uh, For those who are uh, in my age bracket, 50 and above, how many would say, I I really sense we're we're on a downward decline when it comes to the morality of our nation? Uh, And it, and it it is not good. The U.S. is not only headed for financial bankruptcy when it comes to our finances, folks, we are $17, million, $17 trillion in debt. I can't, it, it, it absolutely blows my mind. I mean, so we're in, we're in trouble in that area. But not only in that area, but we are spiraling downward into a moral bankruptcy as well. 76% of Americans say moral values are getting worse. doesn't matter whether you're a Democrat, Republican, or an Independent. They're all in the same part, and they say we're greatly concerned for where our nation is going. Disrespect of parents and people and people who are in positions of authority are at an all-time high. My kids come back. Uh, uh, th- this was the first week of school. The first two days, I mean, uh, th- my kids absolutely hated it. And I, and I think, and, and, some, and I know some of the teachers, I mean, they take two days, okay, this is part of where our education system and where we are at as a country, take two days to talk about the rules and, and what, what the classroom's supposed to be about so that they can have a structure, a, a place to go ahead and semblance to teach. How does it get to a place like that? Because there's craziness going on right now. Dishonesty and dislike for our government leaders, okay, is at an all-time high. Business leaders, uh, there's, there is a distrust in them as well. Couples living together, which was considered taboo. I remember there in the 70s, okay, uh, if, you were, if you were living together as a couple, I mean, it was really, it was kind of like in hushed, hushed terms. And back in the 70s, there were approximately seven, I mean, not seven, 500,000 people that were cohabitating together. Now, couples are in the several millions that are living together, okay, with no intention of ever getting married. 60 to 70% of couples will share a residence together before marriage. That's where our couples are at now. 1973, the landmark ruling, Roe versus Wade, legalizing abortion, the killing, the murdering of babies, okay? We are at now, from 1973 to the year 2014, we are currently at 56 million babies that have been murdered and aborted. Now, to put that in context, let me kind of just give you a little bit what that number looks like. 
In Florida, our population is estimated right now to be 19 million people. 19 million people. That's three times larger than the state of Florida of the babies that have been killed. Pornography. Listen to this one. Porn's revenue is larger than all the combined revenues of professional football, baseball, and basketball franchises. It takes more money in all those franchises put together. Children porn generates $3 billion annually. Internet porn, okay? There are 4.2 million websites. That's about 12% of the websites are on the Internet. Listen to this, parents. The average age of the first Internet exposure to porn is 11 years old. The largest consumer of porn is between the ages of 12 and 17 years of age. Our Constitution, okay, it is, it, for those who have not really got a chance to really learn about history, it, it been maybe bored uh, about history, but our Constitution, it's what we, what we live by. It's our laws and it's the structure of our land, okay? Uh, our Constitution as we know it right now is being shredded, okay, apart by liberal Supreme Court justices and men and women who are, who are governors and who are, uh, who are impositions of judicial authority. And it was known, this is what we know, that the, the Constitution was based upon a Judeo-Christian ethic. Much of the Constitution would come from this, the Bible, okay? Former President John Adams said this. He says, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. He basically was saying, he says, if you have a people that are not moral, who are not religious, basically that are tied into God, it will not work. So the question is, where where are we from a religious point of view? What's happening in the church right now? What's going on? 85% of Americans say they still believe in a God. So there's still a a very high uh, ceiling when it comes to people who who believe in God. Yet out of that, 85% of people who believe in God, there's only 20% of them who pray to God on a regular basis. Okay? Only 16, between 16 and 19% of them are in a house of worship on a Sunday morning. Although growing in numbers, atheists... And agnostics, number about 6%. We now have a number of believers who, in, uh, who call themselves, but in reality are practical atheists, okay? Religion or God really has no effect on how they live their lives and how they make choices and how they live their lives. So there is no doubt there is a shift that has happened here especially in this decade. It seems like it, it's the pedal to the metal. And I, I've just hit just a broad brushstroke of what is happening here in our nation. And this morning, I want to take you to, to a situation, to, to a man that basically was facing what we are facing. His name 
is Daniel. In fact, I want to encourage you to go right now, if you would, to the book of Daniel, to chapter 1. We're going to be reading there here this morning from the NIV. I want to kind of give you some context about this book and, and, uh, and help you out with it. I want to set the table here. And I'm going to be spending four messages here on this. I'm not going to go through every chapter, every verse, okay? And, uh, but we're going to go ahead and we're going to take four messages here from the book of Daniel. Here in the Old Testament, it, it's kind of comprised the very first five books to the Jew. It was called the Pentateuch. It was the early history of the Jews and the giving of the law. Then you had, uh, then you had uh, the historical books, okay? And, and then you had the wisdom books, the Psalms and the Proverbs. And then uh, after that, after, the, after the, the wisdom books, then we have what we call the prophetic books, okay? You had the major prophets and you had the minor prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Daniel, and then, and then and the others were considered the, the minor prophets. It's not that they were less in importance. It means that their letters and their words were a lot less compared to the larger books. But we know that, that Daniel was considered a major prophet in his time. And, uh, and the very first half of the book, the very first six chapters, you will notice if you take a look at it this week, you're going to see that that, that is filled with history. There are stories that, that are there that are, are super encouraging, and I know that they will help you. I want to encourage you to read those. The second half of the book is, is prophetic in its nature, and it talks about the end times, okay? And the reason... That, that I'm in this book, and, I, and I've been praying, I was seeking the Lord over this. This was months ago, and I felt the Holy Spirit speaking to my heart about this. The reason I'm speaking on this book is because you and I, we live in a culture that is getting darker by the moment. We heard last week, okay? It's not getting better right now. And the question is, how do Christians, how do people who love God, how do they survive as well as thrive in a culture that is becoming increasingly wicked? Jesus says, in the last days, this, this is probably my biggest concern and my prayer as a pastor, he says, in the last days, he says, because of the increase of wickedness, he says, the love of most, the lo- people that have love for me, he says, it will begin to wane, it will begin to get cold. And so me as a pastor, and there's your pastor, and Jesus as the ultimate pastor, he is on the, at the right hand of the Father. He is interceding for you. He is praying for you. Know that we are praying for you, that, that your love for God would not grow cold. And if there's anyone here whose love for God has grown cold or it's getting colder, we pray today that this series and, and the message that you will hear today, the fires of God would begin to be reunited in your soul. We know that Daniel was one of the last books written in the Old Testament. It was written about 536 B.C. And it records the events from 605 B.C. to 535 B.C. Basically, it covered a 70-year span. The location of where this incidence and, and the story and what is going on in the, in the book of Daniel is in Babylon, which is considered modern-day Iraq. It was under the leadership of Nebuchadnezzar. Iraq or, or Babylon was, was the bad boy of the time. They were the world superpower. You did not mess with them. 
They got into a fight with Egypt, and on their way back, they are coming through the land of, of, of Israel, and, and, and they made a decision, we want to go ahead and crush this nation. We want them to go ahead and serve us. And so they were taken into captivity. Uh, there were a number of people that were killed. Then there were a number of people that were deported, okay, up into the, into the area of Babylon. Uh, scholars believe that there were 10, between 10,000 and 14,000 people that made it back up there into, into Babylon. So uh, they have been humiliated. It is famously called the captivity or the exile. Here is what we know for sure. That in that, that, that exile, that when they had crushed the nation of, uh, of Israel, did major destruction, destroyed the temple, we know that, that out of those 10,000 to 14,000 people, there were some godly men and women that made it up there to Babylon. But the question is, how did it happen? Why was there such a severe judgment? As you keep your finger there in, uh, in, in Daniel chapter 1, let me take you to Jeremiah chapter 25. This is what the prophet was saying. He says, for 23 years, verse 3, from the 13th year of Josiah, son of Amen, king of Judah, until this very day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I've spoken to you again and again. But you have not listened. Anybody, parents in here had kids like that, speaking to your kids? They don't listen, okay? This is what God's going through, and he's speaking through the prophets. He says, and though the Lord has sent all his servants, the prophets to you again and again, you have not listened or paid attention. They have said, turn now each of you from your evil ways and your evil practices, and you can stay in the land the Lord your God gave to you and your ancestors forever and ever. Do not follow other gods to serve and worship them. Do not arouse my anger with what your hands have made. Then I will not harm you. But you did not listen to me, declares the Lord, and you have aroused my anger with what your hands have made, and you have brought harm to yourselves. Very key. God didn't do this. They did it to themselves. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says this, because you have not listened to my words, I will summon the peoples of the north, my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord, and I will bring them against this land, its inhabitants, and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn, an everlasting ruin. I will banish from them the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. History books absolutely points towards this. This was an absolute historical event. It happened because the nation of Israel for decades and for centuries who were, were somewhat believers in a God but yet were turning to idolatry, were turning to wicked ways. And there's two lessons I want you to go ahead, two lessons from this text. I want, want you to hear this this morning. Very important. Number one, God disciplines those whom he loves. God loves to this very day. God loves the nation of Israel. 
And Israel at one time had a deep love and a devotion from God. But because of their hearts that, that went astray and began to forget about God, God says, I love you because I love you, I will discipline you. God disciplines those whom he loves. If you are here this morning, maybe one of the reasons that you're going through hard times here today, it's not necessarily you're going through trials and tribulations because, you know, uh, it's just a trial or tribulation. You may be in a season where you're at because you're far away from God right now. And God is allowing some things to happen in your life so he can get your attention. He's showing you that he loves you. Number two, your sin affects others. Make no mistake about it. We think that, oh, I can go ahead and I can just click onto this website. No one sees. My wife doesn't see. My, my kids aren't seen. It isn't going to really affect me at all. My sin really doesn't affect others, but it does. Make no mistake about it. Daniel and, and his friends and those who were godly, I promise you, they did not want to be in the land of Babylon. But because of the disobedience and the rebellion, they were, they were products, this affected their lives as well. So here in Babylon has a different culture, different laws. It was a different place. And they were now going to tell the Jews to live a different way than God's way. And that is happening in our culture right now. Our culture is saying to you and I, hey, be like us. It's cool to be like us. If you really want to be in, you want to be up, you want to be like us. Now, I want you to go with me to Daniel chapter 1 here. And let's look at this. We're going to look and dig in here this morning and see what this has to say here to us, where God doesn't want us just to survive, but to thrive spiritually. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his land, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. And the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And they were to be trained for three years and after that, they were to enter into the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah. This is from the tribe of Judah, which was the largest tribe. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Okay, now I want to make a couple of observations here from this section of Scripture. Number one, I want to talk to you about the doctrine called the sovereignty of God. Say sovereignty of God. Okay, you will see that, that the doctrine of the sovereignty of God is filled throughout the book of Daniel. The sovereignty of God means that God is in control. Okay, make no mistake about it. Even though the world and morals and things, it's getting darker and darker by the moment. Make 
No mistake about it. God is in control of what's going on right now. Okay, now I also want to let you know, okay, God is not the cause of evil. Okay, God is not the one that, that is pulling the trigger and making people do evil things. People make that choices themselves. But I want you to see this. I want you to understand this. There is, there is, there, there is a, a great comfort to know that in the midst of craziness and pain and evil, God is still in control. It says here in verse, verse 2, it says, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Okay, him. So here it is. It's God that, that is, is pulling some strings. God is making some things, okay, very apparent right here. He says, I'm moving in the scene. Israel had once been a superpower. They were the baddest people on the black, okay? Now they are a weak slave nation. And I want you to notice the detail here that, that Daniel puts down here, Okay. Here it says that, that when, 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 when Nebuchadnezzar and his forces came into the land, they went and raided the temple. They took, okay, out of the temple the articles, okay, the most sacred and holy objects of worship. And now they take those articles and they put them there into their own temple, into their place of worship. Not only did they take their best and their, their stuff, but they took the best and brightest of the land. They took the most educated, the brightest, the smartest, the best looking, the most talented people, okay, in the land. And basically what they were trying to say to them, we now own you. Your God is nothing. And, and they wanted to literally embarrass the people, much like our culture wants to do to Christianity right now. And Christians who are now considered, you know, like, I mean, crazy people, okay, and, 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 and wants to embarrass us, okay, poke fun at us, and, and wants to own and run us as well. But I want you to notice here in verse 5, this is a key scripture, okay, it says that they were going to go ahead and feed these guys, Daniel and his, his three other friends, he wanted, they, they wanted to serve them the king's royal food. Now, I, I can imagine that the king's royal food was probably pretty good food. But Daniel, okay, said no to this. It was a huge problem for these godly Jews, probably for one or two reasons or for both reasons. Maybe the food that they were about to eat was unclean food. It was already prescribed that, that, that as a Jew, you're, you're not allowed to eat this. Or maybe that the, the meat that they, that they were about to eat and the food that they were about to eat had been offered to idols. And either way, it was unclean. So here it is. Uh, they were confronted by a culture to do different things that they said in their heart, it's not right. So the question is to you and I, what do you and I do when culture shifts? When it does... Will you shift with it? Okay, here's what I want you to know. Here's what we know. Our culture is shifting, but God doesn't. Culture shifts. And by the way, culture is not always bad. But when, when culture is a, away from God's word, okay, and God's ways, that's when it becomes evil. Culture changes, but God doesn't. Malachi said it this way, the prophet, he says, I, the Lord, do not change, Okay. People would say that Christianity and Christians, it's an old-fashioned thing. But the Bible says, I, the Lord, do not change. Will we change with our culture and ask God to change with us? Will we, uh, will we ask God to do that? Well, we know it's happening 
in the church. Listen to this. This is what Paul the Apostle was writing about. He saw what was going to be happening in the future. He says, listen to this. He's told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. He says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. The doctrine of sin, the doctrine of repentance, okay, uh, in the American church as a whole, okay, I mean, black and white, I mean, it, it is declining, a major claiming, the doctrine, of, here it is, the doctrine of hell, that if you don't repent and turn to God, you go to hell. How many times are you going to be hearing that in a pulpit on Sunday mornings? It has began to diminish in great numbers. The doctrine of morality is rarely preached on. So here it is, folks. We don't want, we, you and I, we don't want God to go ahead and change our ways. Because if we ask God to go ahead and be the God of our culture, it leads to pain, confusion, and death. We want to adopt to God's culture and God's kingdom and God's ways because they absolutely work. David said this. He had it right. He says, God's way is perfect. God's way is perfect. And so I tell everybody in here that may be new in the faith or maybe you may be a seeker. You're thinking about God. And you're thinking about, man, should I give my life to the Lord? I want to just tell you God's way is not only perfect, but it works. The question is, how do you and I maintain a wisdom, a witness and a testimony in a dark and deprived culture? If you want to be, listen, for those who want to be people of influence, what do you do? Here's the key. If you want to be a leader, you can't run with the pack, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leaders don't run in packs. Leaders are out front. Leaders are paving the way. Leaders are willing to be different. Now, I want to ask you a question, but I want you to please to be honest with yourself. What has the Holy Spirit been speaking to you in the year 2014? What has he been speaking to you when it comes to your entertainment choices? Okay, what you watch on TV, movies, your computer. What has he been speaking to you when it comes to your friends, your phone, what you drink, what you put into your body? What, what has he been speaking to you and have you been listening to him? I know this, if you are open to the Holy Spirit and you are open to his word, I will tell you this you will become a person not only who just survives, but you can survive in an ungodly culture. And I would encourage you, because my job is not necessarily to tell you what's right or wrong. My job, which I am praying, is to get you connected to God and to get you connected to his word and to consider this word. It has been, it has been the, the sound that I've preached for the last 14 years, I think it's been 14 years today, by the way, uh, that I came here 14 years ago, okay? Uh, I, on this Sunday, I've been preaching this. Man, get into this word right here. Begin to learn it. Read it, man. There's so much good stuff God wants to speak into your life and encourage you and to help you out. Listen to this. Paul put it this way. He says, all scripture, it's inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to, to prepare 
and equip his people to do every good work. Man, I want to so encourage you, okay? Whatever it takes, begin to read and become acquainted with God's word. And you say, man, I just don't like reading, Pastor. I, I understand that. Man, if it's, if it's just a couple of verses a day and say, God, would you just help me? Lord, you know I'm not that way. I'm not wired. To, I don't like reading, okay? But Lord, this is your word to me, God, and I can know you. So Lord, I'm asking you, God, to begin to reveal yourself where I can understand it. Lord, and I will love it, and I will meet with you in this book because I know this, the person that really begins to take a look at this and take this seriously, their lives are never the same. So culture is shifting rapidly away from God and that toward God. And I ask you a question. In the year 2014, which direction are you holding? Which direction are you going in right now? Uh, the church, okay, uh, in, in the summertime, and for pastors, the greatest challenge of the year is summertime. More people go away on vacations, and, and by the way, God is not anti-vacation. I'm, I'm, I'm totally convinced of that. I believe that he wants us to connect, to be refreshed or whatever, but it's the time when it's the lowest attendance in church, when people are out and about visiting families, doing that, and, and that's all fine. But it's also one of the perilous times for, for people because people go on vacation from church and then they stay permanently away from church. And, and, and so, you know, it's really not that important to me. So if you want to stand out, you got to be willing to be different, okay? In fact, I hope that's a desire of you. You say, you know what, I'm willing to stand out. I'm willing to be different. In fact, can I just tell you this? You and I are called to be different. It's a calling on our lives. I want, I want to take you to another doctrine, okay, that's really implied in here in the book of Daniel. It's called the doctrine of holiness. Call, say this with me, the doctrine of holiness, okay? We looked at, say it with me, the doctrine of holiness. Come on. Okay. Okay, we talked about this doctrine of sovereignty of God. God is in control. You're going to see the doctrine of holiness, okay, not necessarily, man, I mean, really explained or whatever, but it's on display. But I want to take you through a couple verses, something that you and I are called to. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul takes 11 chapters. He does this wonderful discourse on the grace and mercy of God, how God pulled us into his kingdom, into his family, and he saved us not because of anything he had, we have done, it's because of who he is. And he says there, therefore, because of my, my grace, okay, brothers and sisters, and God's mercy to offer your bodies, okay, this right here, the, the soma, the Greek word is your bodies, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So we know that, that worship is not just singing songs on Sunday morning. Part of worship is giving of your whole self, your body, soul, and spirit totally over to God. Okay? Here it is. So that's one. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. It says, He saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of but because of his own purpose and grace, okay? Called, Hebrews 12, 14. Absolutely critical book. Here it is. I want you to see this. This is to you and I. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone, okay? I mean, got difficult people that they know that they have to be around. 
Okay, do your best, okay? Okay, he's making every effort, but also to be holy, because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, how many believe that the doctrine of holiness is something that's really important? God says, if you want to see me, you want to experience me, he says, you have to be walking in holiness, okay? Now, the question is, what does that mean? What does it mean to be holy, okay? I, I, I want you to see here on the screen, I want to take a look at this word. The Greek word for holy is hagias. It means to be different. Unlike other, set apart, and sacred. There he is. Okay, man, that threw me off there. I forgot that was up. So God, God has called you and I to be different, unlike other, set apart, and sacred. What is he talking about when it, we're to be unlike other, to be set apart, to be different? He's not talking about in terms of our dress, although I would say that, that Christians and, uh, in dress, by the way, ladies, as whatever, we, we, we don't dress like the world in a provocative way. The Bible is very clear about that. What is it? I, I, I don't have the lines or whatever. I've had to deal with this with my kids and my girls, whatever. Okay, come on, girls. I mean, there's been many times they come into church. No, you are not wearing that, okay? Uh, has any parents had that by any chance? Okay. Uh, and uh, modesty, okay? We're, we're, and, and so God's called us to be different, but especially when it comes to our morals and our values, okay? This is exactly what Daniel was like in his friends, they were living in this ungodly culture and a culture that was trying to change them. But they said, you know what? We're not going to be, even though we're in this nation, even though we're in this country, okay, we're different. We're still Jews. We are still God's chosen ones. We still love him and we will serve him. They were, they were the epitome of what holiness, and we're going to look at that here and, and what happened. So I'm going to hit three main points here this morning. This is going to be the big, the big idea. When, when culture shifts, we're watching that happening right before our eyes. I want you to see three things that happen when our culture shifts and what, what it's going to try to do to you and I. And this is what I'm praying for you as your pastor, that, 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 uh, that you hang in there, that, that you become a person who is holy, person that's willing to be different, you know, to stand out and say, you know what, they may all do that, but I'm not going to be doing that. I'm going to be doing what's right. Here's, here's the three things that will happen. Number one, it will try to rename you. Okay, it will try to, to rename you, okay? It says here in verse 7, it says, the chief official, it's very important, gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Mishak, and to Azariah, Abednego. Okay? Now, culture and the enemy, an ungodly culture and the enemy will try to change your God-given identity of who he made you to be. He wants to change your assignment from God's assignment, okay, into his assignment and to do what the world wants you to be like, okay? What's happening is, is the enemy and the culture is having a full assault on our God-given destiny, God has a plan, 
at a destiny for each one of our lives. My destiny and my calling is different from yours. Your calling and your destiny is different from mine. And I want to tell you this. Your, that, that calling and that destiny is under attack. Okay, because the enemy knows that when, when a person understands their calling, not just holiness, but they understand who they are, they understand their identity, they're dangerous to the kingdom. When they understand it and they begin to walk in it, that's a major threat to the kingdom of darkness. And if you want to know, hey, what is my destiny? What am I supposed to do with it? Here it is. Here it is, right? It's very simple. Number one, you connect to God in relationship. You got to be connected to God in relationship. Number two, you got to be connected to God's church. And I'm not talking about just being an attender on Sunday morning. The church in America is filled with attenders. God wants his children, his sons and daughters to be connected to one another. And it's in that connection in relationship to one another that we begin to discover our God-given identities and our assignments. Become a member of the family of God. Discover your gift and your calling. And, and, and also, by the way, you and I have some false labels that we're dealing with, that culture has put on us. In fact, in fact what we put on ourselves many times. Who would have known that, that back in uh, 1978, when I got born again and saved and filled with God's spirit, that a, a shy young man, insecure, absolutely scared to be in front of crowds and people would be speaking to you today. Who would know that? I want you to see this on the screen. God has a redemptive name he wants to put on you. And here at Calvary, this is a prayer that we, we have been praying and, and asking God, God, how can we help our brothers and sisters to be able to walk in that? Okay? We want to help you to, to begin to discover your calling on your life. So many Christians are in church, are frustrated. What am I supposed to do with my life? How can I serve God? What, what is this assignment on my life? And, and one of the ways that we believe that we can help you, and I know that there's been a group that's, that we've had a startup in this area, but we want to see the, uh, as we begin again in the fall to get connected to growth track. Okay, in our growth track, I mean, we spend a, a, a session to help you to discover your personality, uh, your passions, as well as the gifts that God has deposited in your life. And we want to be able to give you a venue to where you can express your God-given talent and gifts that's come from Him. And so I want to encourage you, uh, when we start up again in the fall, if you really want to know your assignment, get connected to growth track. But I want you to look here, the, here this morning, I want you to look at the Hebrew names, okay, and their meanings, and the new names that they were given by the Babylonians and what they meant. By the way, when you look at this here in verse 7, when you see their names change, what's up with that? Why are they changing names? You've got to remember, back at that time and that culture, names meant something, okay? It was significant uh, of, of an event or of, of a godly character, okay? But here, they wanted to go ahead and, and change their names and say, hey, we know that your name means this, but we're going to give you a different name, and we, we want you to live this way and to think this way. Let's take a look at this, okay? Follow with me. You can write these on the screen. The name Daniel, 
It means God is my judge. Okay? Basically what he's saying, he says, I answer to God and God alone. He has a right, okay? And then they name him Belshazzar, which means protect the king, okay? Now here's what's happening. They are, are shifting the focus, okay, from God to man, okay? They're basically saying, you don't answer to God anymore. You answer to man as well as to the king. You listen to the king, okay? Second name, Hananiah. It means Yahweh is or has been gracious. It's basically saying, what an amazing God that I serve. God is awesome. He's so amazing. But they, then they give him the name Shadrach, which means servant of sin. Okay? Here's, the focus is shifting from God is good to God is bad and sin is good. They're basically saying, hey, don't serve God, okay? God is, is someone who is bo- boring. It's a bunch of rules and boredom. If you're, if you're a God follower, basically you're weird, okay? You're strange, you're a freak, you're a nerd. And then Michelle, which means who is or what is or what God is. Meaning, he says, there is no one who is like God. I am in awe of him. I'm in absolute awe. My my confidence is totally in God. And then the name is just changed slightly, and it means who is like Venus. And the focus is being shifted from an awe of God to a God who is very distant and far away and doesn't care about you. And then Azariah. Azariah means Yahweh, which is another name for God. Yahweh has helped me. It's an endearing term. He says, man, God has been so personally involved in my life. And then he's named Abednego, which means servant of Nebo, which is basically you're going from the focus of being a God's son, him being your father, to now you will be a slave, okay? There's, there's, there's a shift going on. And I want you to see here on the, on the screen here, when culture shifts, you better know your God-given name and identity. Do you know your God-given name and your identity? I want you to think about that. What, what is, by the way, how many people in here, just by a show of hand, know, knows what your name, the name that was given by your parents, how many know what your name means? Okay, most of you know that, okay? And uh, we, we, as parents, June and I took a great, amount of time when it came to naming our kids, okay? And our, our firstborn, I mean, I, I, out of our six kids that were born to us, okay, uh, the very first one, I mean, it came to immediately to us, Kelly. I mean, uh, we, we love that name, but I mean, you know what you know what Kelly means? Warrior woman, okay? And uh, we, we had some good, we had some good fights anyways, uh, So what does your name mean? Your earthly name may not have a biblical meaning. In fact, it may even have a negative connotation. You maybe have heard through the years, maybe when you were younger, other names given to you in a negative, ill will way. 
But I want to encourage you here today to those who are insecure, for those who are wounded on the inside, see yourself through God's eyes and hear the names that God has given to you. Here's the name that God gives to you. Number one, son, daughter. I'm your dad. Some of you say, well, that isn't real comforting to me, man. I had a dad that was a jerk, that was mean, violent, and abusive. I pray for you. Trust me, I pray for you that God will free you from the pain of what happened to you in the past. That you will begin to see a a view of God that he's a father who is tender, who is loving and compassionate and caring. Son, daughter, redeemed, new creation, my chosen one, okay, my friend, my blessed one, my beloved, you are mine. Absolutely huge. If you want to be able to see yourself and be able to be secure, you've got to see yourself through God's eyes. Number two, when culture shifts, it will not only try to rename you, but it will try to tame you. Oh, this is probably one of the biggest verses right here in all the book of Daniel. I want you to get this one. Verse 8, it says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. I want you to notice two things. Write this down. I want you to notice his courtesy, and I want you to notice his convictions. Okay? He's in an ungodly land. Okay? He's under a rule. Okay? And, and Daniel, okay, uh, makes a request, okay, and, and, and he, he, he's nice, okay, and, and, and he doesn't argue with the people, he's not telling, you know, these wicked people who are ungodly, you're going to go to hell, you know, you're a heathen, you're a, you're a Gentile, he doesn't do that, he, he asked nice, okay, it, in your attempt to be an influence amongst people, real, real basic principle, be nice to people, Oh, yeah. There's a lot of Christians uh, through the years, okay, uh, who are waving the banner, you know, of of condemnation. You know, you're a heathen, you're going to hell. You know, uh, you catch, listen, you catch more bees with with honey than vinegar. Okay, God's going to show them where they're wrong, and there's a time to go ahead and do that. But I want, want you to understand and see his conviction. Daniel understood that to take up the king's food would be wrong for himself. And by the way, I want you to understand this. He was willing to die for his conviction. Willing to go ahead. He knew that, that, that if he didn't eat this food and, 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 and things went wrong right there, it, he knew that things could go bad for himself. And here's what happens. When culture shifts, it will try to tame you. It will try to make you like Melvin McToast with no convictions. Let me ask you a question this, okay? Do you have a strong conviction that you will stand up for, you will speak up for, you will vote for, you will speak about, okay? Do you have a conviction in your life that you are willing to literally die for? Now, I know this. There's moms and dads in this place. Not a doubt in my mind you'll die for your kids. But what else will you die for? What else are you willing to speak up for? What else are you willing to lose your job for? Maybe to lose your land or your home. What are you willing to give for? My personal conviction, this is mine. I pray it's yours. God, number one in my life. He's first above any relationship here on earth. I give him the first part of my day, the first part of my finances, the first part of my week, my body, okay, my mind, my thoughts, Lord, 
they're yours. I pray that's for you as well. Here is the key. Let me get some water. Hold on. Here's the key. Surviving. Thriving. He made a decision. He says, I'm going to go into a land that's wicked, it's dark, and I have made a decision that no matter what comes my way, I'm not going to compromise my convictions. God comes first. He did that in advance. Here's the key. Have you made knowing, not just to yourself, but to others, God's number one in my life? And if you are coming up against situations and tests, I promise you this, there will be times you will be so tested. Man, I've already had a lozenge. Give me another one. I'll take one. Thank you, my sister. <clears throat> I promise you this, it will be tested. And if you make a decision, I hope today that no matter what comes my way, whether I lose my job, whether I lose my family, whether I lose my life, I'm not going to give in. Daniel did this in advance. People who do, don't do that, they're dead in the water. Here's the result of being resolved. Go with me to verse 19. Now, Daniel had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord, the king, who assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? And the king would have them because of, then the king would then have my head because of you. And Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servant for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So we agreed to do this and he tested them for 10 days. Write down 10 days. 10 for the Jew and for God was the number symbolic of testing. The Ten Commandments, the tithe, the Bible says, test me in this. Okay, 10 days, okay, after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit's being poured out. He says, just give me 10 days. He says, man, if I'm not... If I'm not looking better than these other guys, he says, well, he says, then we'll go ahead and we'll suffer the consequences. But notice, it says that he had compassion and favor upon him. For the person who resolves not to compromise, who makes a decision in advance, I don't care what happens to me. You position yourself to be in a place of God's favor and authority and compassion in your life. Mark 9, 5. Before I get there, go with me to number three. Here it is. <clears throat> Hang with me. I'm almost there. Number three, when culture shifts, it will try to claim you. There are big tug of wars going on in our culture. Just go to college right now to a secular college campus. It's wild. There is so much junk going on right now. Hey, I'm away from my parents. I have, you know, I have no... I, you know, no curfew, okay, I can go ahead and do this, and everything is there, okay? We live in a culture, I mean, where, I mean, there is major pressure, okay, that is being put on us, okay? Your parents won't find out, go ahead and do this. Or the wife, hey, there's a guy hitting on me. Uh, my husband won't find out. You can go ahead and look at this. You can talk to the guy who's hitting on you. 
but it will try to claim you this culture. If you want to be different and you want to be a difference maker, don't give in to the pressure. And by the way, here's, here's something you know something's really wrong in your heart. If you don't have a desire to make a difference in this culture, basically, this culture has swallowed you up. Here's the word of Jesus to you and me. He says in Mark 9, 15, he says, salt is good for seasoning. But if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? You must have the qualities of salt among yourselves. Another version puts it this way. So be full of salt. So Jesus is saying, and the book of Daniel is saying, he says, if you look like everybody else, okay, something's wrong, something's wrong going on in your life. And God hasn't called us to look like everybody else. He's called us to be different. And because Daniel's friends resolved not to be claimed by their culture, I want you to look what happened. Go with me down to verse 15. He said, at the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better and nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. And to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time, set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them. And he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. They were the best. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better. He says, give us ten ten days. It says, ten times better than all the other magicians, enchanters in his whole kingdom. I want you to notice two things. Verse 17. Because they had, to, they had resolved not to defile themselves, to cave into culture, God had given them wisdom, understanding, and the ability to walk in the supernatural. Understand this, God is still the giver of gifts. And God, the Bible says that he has no favorites. And God is willing to give you his gifts of the supernatural. We're going to be talking about that next week. And it says that it was ten times better. Our God has something in us ten times better than anything the world has to offer to you and I. So on the screen, here it is. Here's the question. Will I change the world around me or will the world change me? Am I salt or am I tasteless salt? I have to make a decision. Will I set the culture or reflect the culture? Will my identity come from God or will it come from culture? When people look at your life today, in the year 2014, do they see Jesus or do they see this ungodly culture in you? Here's the action step. Here it is. I want to bring it to conclusion. It's going to be simple. Repent. You're not different. You're not holy. Here's the word to you. Repent and be baptized. Jesus said, repent and be baptized. We have people right here in this room. Some of you, you got baptized maybe when you were a boy, maybe when you were a girl. There was a time you just had a simple love for Jesus, but you didn't understand the significance of why you got baptized. But now, as you are older, okay, you, you understand that, that, you know what, baptism is not just something, it, it, it's something that's really important. 
and a sign that you belong to Jesus, that you are going public for Jesus, is baptism. Baptism shows that you have repented and belong to God. Luke 3, 3, then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they have repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. I would encourage you, if you were, bap- you were baptized maybe as a kid and maybe uh, for the last 10, 15 years, I don't know what it is, you've been really uh, away from God in your heart and your actions. Baptism and repentance uh, is an outward expression of an inward commitment. As, as Pastor Chris rightly said, it is, it is the wedding band of Christianity. This right here. When I walk in public, okay, it says, I'm married, okay? I'm married to a lady by the name of June Ellen Rarick, okay? She's my wife, she's my bride, okay? I'm hers and she is mine. And I would ask you this question. Have you done anything publicly that shows that you identify with Jesus Christ? And if not, and you have been that person that has been the secret Christian, you know, I'll just let them know that I'm a Christian by my smile. I'm really nice. Can I just tell you, there's a lot of people that are in the world that are really nice, and they smile. Have you gone public for Jesus? Have you shared your faith? Have you, have, you, have, you, have, you, have you been the salt that Jesus told you to be? A difference maker. I encourage you here today. Today, make the decision. You know what? There's going to be a situation in my life. I know the test is coming. Folks, it, darkness is descending upon America unless there is a great awakening. I, I sense there is persecution. There's going to be some things that it, soon, not way down the road, but soon I sense it's coming. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for that test? Make no mistake about it, you and I are not immune. God's, God's church here in America is not immune to persecution. The question is, are we ready for this? Will we be, can we make it? Can we thrive? Oh, yes. Let's pray. Close your eyes for just a moment. Jesus, help us to resolve in our hearts not to defile ourselves. For those who are here this morning, just real quickly, you said, Pastor Mike, the doctrine of holiness, the willingness to be different in public, around my family, amongst my friends, the workplace. To be honest with you, I've taken on the culture of them, my language and my thoughts and my actions really do not, do not fit in his becoming of a, of a follower of Christ. There's some of you that are here in this room, that I mean your actions, and, and then there's some of you that are just flat out in fear of persecution, in fear of rejection, in fear of, of whatever in your mind and, 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 and the enemy owns you. There's a, there's, a, there's a fear that rests upon your life. And, and, and really, 
you haven't given yourself totally to Jesus. You being accepted is more important than sharing your faith. And God's calling you to repent of that. To take up your cross and to follow him and not to be ashamed of him. So for those who say, Pastor, I need prayer. Today I want to make a commitment. And I want to encourage you in two weeks from now, I, I, I believe that there's going to be people that they're going to get re, that need to really basically get rebaptized and to say, I, I am making a public commitment. And from this day forward, man, Jesus, he's everything to me. But today, let's just pray. You said the Holy Spirit was speaking to me in this word. And I want to respond to him this morning. Just raise your hand here this morning. We're going to pray. To those that where the Holy Spirit was just speaking to your heart here today. You said, man, I want, to be, I want to be like Daniel. I want to be like these guys right here. I, want, I don't want to just survive. I want to thrive. We're going to see that next week. It's going to be amazing. Father, in Jesus' name, we repent. We repent, Lord, of our, Lord, of our wicked ways, of our selfishness. We repent, Lord God, of, Lord, of our fears, Lord God, and caring what other people think about us more than what, Lord, you think. And God, we ask today, Lord, that you would change our hearts. And God, we pray that we would, Lord, not just survive, but God, that we would thrive. God, would you use us this week to be salt, Lord, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, Lord, in our workplaces and in our schools. God, would you use us this week. God, fill us with your spirit, your power, I ask in Jesus' name. Stand to your feet. And Lord, now I pray your blessing upon my brothers and sisters. Come, Lord God, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to give you one quick announcement. I want to encourage you to, we're going to be this, please be in prayer for us, our pastors. We get together once a year for a retreat where we get together, where we pray and we plan. We're going to be gone for a couple of days, but I want to encourage you to come uh, tomorrow night to prayer. How many know that, man, how many know that we, we need to be praying? Just right now, guys, this week, please be praying for our brothers and sisters in Iraq right now. It's in the news. Many Christians. There is a genocide going on right now. There are there are kids that are getting that are kids, girls that are getting lit. I, I mean, that are getting their heads chopped off right now. Gruesome. I get, be praying for Iraq. Be praying for our brothers. Since God calls us to do that, come and pray tomorrow night. God bless you. Have a great week.